and you want to please him. All right, I'm going to pray over the word tonight. If you guys could just please agree with me. And we're, gonna, we're just going to dive into this tonight. I love the word of the Lord so much. And fathers, we come before you tonight. We all agree together. And we stand on the promise. If two, two will agree on earth as touching anything, that you'll do it, Lord. And we agree together over the word of the Lord. Because the word of God is so important. And we pray tonight that you would anoint me fresh and speak through me your word. And Lord, that it would go out in, in power. Lord, I ask you that everyone that's hearing this, that by your Holy Spirit, they would just be captivated to give you their best ear and their full attention. That there's not going to be a bunch of distractions or this and that. You know, that their minds would just be able to focus. Their hearts would be tuned into the Lord. That you would anoint their eyes and ears to be able to have eyes and ears of the Spirit. To be able to understand. To be able to see what you're showing. To hear what you're speaking. To understand it, Lord. Give us minds of understanding. And Lord, I pray that this will go out as living seeds of truth that are sown into good fertile soil that's even made ready right now. And that as it goes into the soil of people's lives, that your precious Holy Spirit would water that seed and cause it to take root in people and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. It is fruit that remains. Lord, we ask you that there would be a washing of the water of the word we ask you that the light of truth would shine bright and dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. And just clear that out and bring revelation. And your word would be like a mighty hammer that's going to break down the strongholds of the devil. Or let it be a sword that's going to be able to penetrate and get through where it needs to go. Because the word of God is living and powerful. And Lord, I pray that the, the winds of your Holy Spirit will carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. That your mighty angels will watch over it because as it goes out, like over the internet, it literally can go to the world. And Lord, we pray that it's going to get where it needs to be. And we agree together over this word of the Lord. Jesus said, the parable of the seed and the sower, that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. And those are, those are the demonic forces of the enemy. Lord, we agree together tonight that anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word, we bind you in the name of Jesus. We command you to go from it right now. You have no power in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that you'll speak through me everything that needs to be spoken and let everything be accomplished as we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you for it. We're in agreement and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to give you something just kind of deep at the beginning. It's not in the notes, but it's a play on words in Hebrew. I was sharing this with my wife this morning. There's a scripture. This is not in the notes, so just kind of look this way and listen to me. But there's a scripture in the book of Amos that talks about how there would be a famine of the word of the Lord. And for, for years, you know, different people, different preachers, people thought, well, you know, maybe in the latter days, there would be like a lack of Bibles being printed or a lack of certain things like where the gospel was once getting out and it, it's hindered. But, you know, it doesn't really say that. It says there's, there's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Hearing, you know, the thing is that there's a lot of things that are out there, even right now, but I, I don't know that a lot of it's the word of the Lord. There be hear what I just said. We're not talking about motivational speeches. We're not talking about just trying to encourage or build up hope or whatever. We're talking about the word. What is the Lord saying? What is the Lord saying? Even though there's a lot of things out there I believe that in some ways, there, right now there's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And the Bible says that in the latter days that some people would abandon sound doctrine and would, would gather into themselves teachers that would just tell them what they want to hear. And it's really interesting because, it, you know, I study Hebrew some, and I, I love Hebrew. I'm certainly no expert by any means. But there's certain things you'll pick up if you know a little bit about it. And there's a play on words. And I'll give you an example. The word debar, D-A-B-A-R, debar means word. But it also, the same root word means like a bee, like a honeybee. So it's a play on words. And it's really interesting because in the Bible it says there'd be this famine of the word of the Lord. But also in the book of Revelation you read about where wheat and barley and things like that would be so expensive remember that but it says don't harm the oil and the wine 
And in the book of Revelation, it shows that there's going to be some kind of a, it seems to indicate the possibility of some kind of a shortage one day of bees and the things that bees pollinate and help produce, um, there would be a shortage. And so it'd be extremely expensive. But of course, the oil and the wine, the, 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 you know, the vines and the olives don't have to have bees. So, and so it's kind of a play on words like a, a, a shortage of the word of the Lord but also then of the very things that would produce like bread, for example. Does that make sense tonight? And so I know it's a little deeper and it's kind of a play on Hebrew words, but you know, I believe that. I believe that we need at any other time that we've ever in church history, in these latter days that we live, we need the word of the Lord. We need to hear from God and we need to have people preaching the word of the Lord to us. I believe that's going to be extremely important in the days to come. All right, so with that said, I'm going to talk tonight about Amalek. This was one of the nations that came against Israel, the Amalekites. They, in the eyes of the Lord, they were exceedingly wicked. This was a nation that God uh, seemed to really have a problem with. And I think that you'll see that as we go. But Amalek is not, you know, the thing about Amalek is this. Amalek represents something that existed before them and is at work today. And so I'm going to expose that tonight as we get into this. But it's a very interesting study. Honestly, you, I could preach two or three sermons about this, but I really felt the Lord just wanted me to do it in one and just kind of leave some things open-ended for your own personal study. But it's very interesting. So let me open up by reading a few scriptures. Um, you remember in the word of the Lord, it talked about, you can just read along with me. Remember what Amalek did to you as you were leaving Egypt. He happened upon you and struck the weakest people trailing behind. When you were exhausted, and he did not fear God. So in Deuteronomy 25, God talked about that. That the Amalekites, I want you to picture this for a moment. Israel was, was moving through the wilderness, but there were people that had gotten tired and, and, and were weak, and they were dragging behind, and the Amalekites snuck up and, and attacked the weak that were trailing behind. And of course, there's more to that story I'll get into. In Exodus 17, verse 8, it shows that Amalek attacked Israel basically out of pure hatred. Let me tell you something about because this will all makes sense if you follow me. In Revelation chapter 12, there's this imagery, and I know what it represents about Israel and all that, but just focus on this one thing with me. In Revelation 12, there's a woman in the heavens that's about to give birth. And it says the dragon stood in front of the woman to, de to devour the child when it came forth. And Satan many times will try to attack a person or attack a ministry or whatever at an infancy stage you think about it for a moment how in the days of Moses that when Moses was born the Bible says that Satan had stirred up Pharaoh to try to kill Moses even though he didn't really know what he was doing he was having all the male infants being thrown into the Nile and killed the only reason Moses survived that was because his mother and sister, you know, put him in a little basket and floated him down the river. And it was God watching over him. But nonetheless, something, Satan, okay, stirred up Pharaoh to try to kill something that God was doing at that infancy stage. And even in the days of Jesus, same thing. Jesus was born. Herod, you know, the devil stirred him up. And he tried to kill Jesus, even though he didn't realize necessarily the extent of what was going on. Sometimes I think that human vessels really are being used of the devil. They have no idea the, the, the level of significance of what they're doing. And Herod was, you know, trying to destroy something that God was doing. He was trying to kill Jesus. He killed all these, these children. But God had spoken to Joseph to go down to Egypt and escape all that. You see the parallel here? Satan will try to attack things. 
What I believe Amalek represents more than anything else, and I'll, I'll show you this as we go, it's an attack of the devil against your destiny in God. If you get anything out tonight, remember that. You know, I use the phrase sometimes about grappling, but most people have seen a grappling hook and not really realize what it was even called. But see, the thing is, we're trying to go from glory to glory. We're, we're moving upward in Christ. We're going from, to new levels. And if the devil can find something in a person's life, it, it may not even be their fault per se, but if he can find a way, he'll try to throw like a hook up there and hook them and begin to pull them down. And it's very frustrating to people. He's, he's, he's after destroying people's destiny in God. If the devil could have done it, Moses would have been killed before Moses even had a chance to fulfill God's destiny. If the devil had his way, Jesus would have been killed before Jesus even had a chance to fulfill his destiny. You see what I'm saying? It was that dragon that stood before the woman. And Amalek, here the nation of Israel, this is like in an infancy stage of what God was doing. They received Passover. They were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. And here they were going on into their destiny. They were moving forward. It was right at the beginning, though. It was a, like everything was at an infancy stage. And what did Amalek do? Try to come in behind, try to find a weak place, attack. And, and if Amalek had their way, the devil would have stirred up Amalek to destroy Israel before Israel was able to fulfill its destiny in God. It was looking for weaknesses. And God said to Moses, write this remembrance in the book that I will surely erase the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. In Exodus 17, 14. It's interesting in my studies that the Jewish Midrash states that when Esau was getting old, he called in his grandson Amalek and said, I tried to kill Jacob but was unable. Now I am entrusting you and your descendants with the important mission of annihilating Jacob's descendants, the Jewish people. Carry out this deed for me and be relentless and do not show mercy. That's interesting, isn't it? So there's this ancient hatred. In Hebrew, there's this phrase, Olam Eba, which has to do with the ancient hatred. So I'll get into more of this as we go. But Amalek was described as from Esau, but he was also des described as first among the nations by Balaam. That's interesting because, you know, I believe, though, that Balaam was speaking because he was a, a sorcerer, false prophet guy. And I think that he, you know, he was mystical and when he was referring to Amalek first among the nations, I really believe, first off, that Amalek was not like some ancient people. But I believe that he was speaking metaphorically. Because there has always been a move of the devil to try to destroy what God's doing in the earth. And trying to destroy people's destiny in God. Now think about, you know, in the days of, of Nimrod. You know, the Tower of Babel was built. God said, multiply, fill the earth. What did, what did rebellious people do? They congregate and build a tower. They said, we're not going to multiply. We're not going to fill the earth. We're going to stay right here. And Nimrod became a ruler. It's interesting that in those ancient times that there was a unified one world government, if you will, with a dictator, Nimrod. And that's how things are going to end up in the book of Revelation too. But there's always been that opposing force. And even though it's not recorded in the Bible and certain things I've read, it indicates that Abraham, when he was younger, that Nimrod tried to actually kill him. But God protected him. And that's probably true. But it's interesting that how the devil has attacked to destroy people's destiny and hinder their purposes in God. Now Esther 3.1 
As we go through this, after these events, King Asherus promoted Haman, the son of, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. The Agagite speaks of Amalek. Did you hear what I said? Agai, Agag, sorry, speaks of Amalek. So it's believed that Haman was actually a descendant of the Amalekites. And the Bible says that Haman was exalted and, it, and you know, that um, King Asherus advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So once again, we're seeing a situation where the children of Israel, God's people, now were dwelling in Persia. And without getting into a great depth of the story of Esther, Haman was used of the devil to try to stir things up in such a way that it would have caused a true, legitimate genocide of the Jewish people. And it would have destroyed the destiny of God's people had he been successful. And there was an Amalekite that was behind it. In Exodus 16, 17, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. But it's very interesting that God said he would have war against Amalek from every generation. And that God would annihilate Amalek. And to this day, whenever, um, you know, the, the Jewish scribes will write certain, you know, write out the Torah and all that, they'll write out the name of Amalek and cross it out. There's something about Amalek that represents God's for, or Satan's forces against God's people in these latter days, I believe, as well. And we're going to be facing forces of darkness that are very significant. All right. So how do you conquer Amalek, and what really is the message of this for us today? In the days of Moses, it was really interesting that... Amalek, when they attacked, God released Moses and the children of Israel to fight Amalek and to defeat them. But the way that they fought Amalek was Moses was up on a hill. And you remember that Moses lifted his hands like this and was looking down at the battle that was going on down in the valley, but he had his hands up. And it took Aaron and Hur on each side of him to hold his arms up because he couldn't have done it by himself. And while Moses' arms were up, Joshua was down there fighting the Amalekites and was defeating them but if Moses' arms weakened and went down then the Amalekites began to conquer Joshua and his forces so the point here is a couple things but one is this that it is a spiritual battle even though Joshua was down there fighting a physical battle with drawn swords Moses was up lifting his hands like this as an intercessor because it took a spiritual warfare aspect to conquer. And if you look at it, if I remember correctly, Hur was of the tribe of Judah, which is kingly. And Aaron was obviously of the tribe of, it's Levitical, and he's the Kohen, he was the high priest. And so it had to do with the, the kingly and the priestly, and Moses obviously was the prophet. But it literally took a unified front against the Amalekites. Another thing as I studied this out that really stuck out to me was that King Saul. So Israel had gone through the period of the judges and now Samuel was the last judge and he, he was used to establish the first king, which was Saul. And the one really significant assignment that God gave King Saul was to completely annihilate the Amalekites. And King Saul did not do it. He did it partially. And that may very well be why we see Haman all those many years later. Um, it seems to indicate he was an Amalekite. So what is Amalek for us today? As I shift gears now, so I gave you a little bit to think about, but Amalek represents whatever it is that has been set up against you and I trying to hinder our destiny in God. It's a literal spiritual enemy, though. 
It's not um, something in the natural. It's not something that maybe is psychological or an emotional thing. This is a literal spiritual enemy. A spiritual force of resistance that comes against God's people. And I read in 2 Kings 3.27, there was the, the Moabites were being attacked by Israel, and they were losing. So the king of Moab got very desperate. And look at the scripture in 2 Kings 3.27. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel. And they departed from him and returned to their own place. So let me read that again. And y'all give me your best here and look this way. 2 Kings 3.27 Then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and he offered him as a burnt offering. So as horrible as this sounds, this has to do with some kind of a weird satanic human sacrifice that Moab was doing to their God. Let me read it again, because I know that there's, you know, let's try not to be distracted, but it says, he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall, and there came great wrath, or rage, in the Hebrew, against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. That's interesting to me, that Israel was moving forward in battle, and was taking ground, and was actually conquering Moab. They were pressing in and they were defeating Moab and the king of Moab became so desperate because he knew that he was about to die and his kingdom was going to be totally defeated that he got his oldest son now and performed some kind of a weird human sacrifice to his de demon god and the Bible says right here that some kind of a wrath, some kind of a spiritual rage was released against Israel and look at this, and Israel departed. Israel stopped the fight and went back home. Something was released against Israel, a great resistance. The Bible describes it in Hebrew as a wrath or a rage. Now think about Elijah. Elijah is kind of a good example of somebody that didn't really completely fulfill everything they could have. Elijah was a great man of God, and we know the story of, on Mount Carmel that he had uh, gone up there and challenged all these prophets of Baal. I mean, there was 450, and, and I think there was another 400, if I'm not mistaken, but there was hundreds and hundreds of these false prophets. And he was standing alone. And he challenges all of them in front of all these witnesses that are there. And back in those days, in the days of the judges, they built altars to God in these high places, which really they weren't supposed to do. But anyway, Elijah, there was an altar there to God that Jezebel torn down. And so Elijah begins to rebuild the altar, and he challenges these prophets of Baal. And you guys know the story, St. Kings 18, 19. He had the, the, the bull there, and they did all of their witchcraft, and they were cutting themselves, they were dancing around, they were calling on their demon God. Nothing happened, but when, when Elijah prayed, God sent fire down and consumed that sacrifice. And God honored Elijah's prayer, but it was such a powerful breakthrough. But after that, here Elijah gets filled with the Spirit of God and goes through and begins to kill every one of these prophets, these false prophets that had been there. This was a great victory that Elijah did. He kills all these prophets. Something broke in the spirit realm that day. But what happens? Elijah goes, and now Jezebel sends this... Um, you know emissary to represent her and he goes to her and says Elijah Jezebel says may the gods do to me and even you know very severely if by this time tomorrow I don't do to you what you did to these other prophets but Elijah had just killed hundreds and hundreds of grown men what resistance what great wrath if you will what was it that came against Elijah in the spirit realm that caused him to shrink back because you would think anybody reading this story would think that Elijah would say well I just killed hundreds of grown men I'm not going to be afraid of this witchy woman 
You go back and just simply let her know, I'm, I'm on this rock right here, and I'll still be here tomorrow. And if I'm not dead tomorrow, I'm going to go to her house. And he should have stood up against that, but some kind of a spiritual resistance, some kind of a rage in the spirit realm came against Elijah. Elijah goes into a depression. And you read it, I mean, in the King James, all it says he kept going down, down, down. Elijah goes to this juniper tree. He's under, he's wanting to die. And God did everything he could. God sends an angel to the man, gives him water, gives him angel food, and, and encourages him. And then he goes, you know, he goes out to the cave and, and uh, God appears to him in such a powerful way, but yet Elijah never really came out of that depression. He never really got over it. Something had happened to him. And so after all that God did, Elijah, when the still small voice came, God finally just said to Elijah, he said, Elijah, I want you to go anoint Hazael king over Aram. I want you to anoint uh, Jehu to be king over Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha in your place. And then God took Elijah home. And he had to leave Elisha now to carry on what Elijah could have done. But see, there was such, I'm hoping that you're picking up on what I'm saying here. There was such a resistance. And the devil through that, that invasion of that Jezebel spirit in Israel, that, that was, it was such a stronghold there. It was such a serious stronghold that it literally took God anointing a king like Jehu. And Jehu was a reckless and a very hardened warrior that would go in and would completely kill Ahab's sons and, I mean, just annihilate that family and, and not even bat an eye. I mean, he was just a hardened warrior, but it took God using him and God used Hazael to come in and do some things, but God also used Elisha. And it took like multiple people to begin to see the, force, the forces of the enemy broken because there was such a resistance there. You know, Derek Prince said something that I really like. It's always stay with me. He said that the greatest resistance to people's destiny in God is the, the spiritual force of witchcraft against them. And that's true. I believe that that's true. And so I think about 1 Thessalonians 2.18. It's here in your notes. It says, Paul was writing to you know, Thessalonica. He was saying, look, I wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. You're seeing like a hindrance, a resistance. See, what Amalek represents is not really because the bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood we're not really dealing with necessarily people but you're dealing with a spiritual force that sometimes will use people but nonetheless it's a spiritual thing and it's why you can't get too caught up with seeing the natural and the frustrations in the natural where maybe this person is now against you this friend became an enemy you know something seemed to hit your finances here something seems to be hitting against your health and it seems like this happened and that happened and it's frustrating and it, it's a lot of times it's the tendency to try to figure all this out in the natural as to what's going on but you have to discern what's going on in the spiritual what is the the spiritual force that is coming against you that is resisting you And of course, we know that witchcraft is a great and a strong resistance. But how many knows greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world? So there's got to be a conquering. The thing about Amalek is this. Amalek is a strong force. It's a strong enemy. And to really get into your destiny in God, though, you're not going to be able to go around it. You're going to have to man up and woman up, and you're going to have to go right through it. You're going to have to conquer it. You're going to go through it. It's going to have to be like a Goliath. You remember that everybody was there and they, they could have took the Philistines, but there was that Goliath. But somebody had to run at him and take him down. There has to be a going toward this in the power of God and taking the head off that giant and running right through it. Well, Satan is a destiny thief. 
I want people to think for a moment where you're at, and many of you have notes and things. I want you to think about what is your destiny in God. If you don't know, you need to start praying about that, especially as we go into a time of fasting. What has God really called you to do? What is your destiny? And if you know what your destiny is, you need to be praying about it and thinking about, am I really fulfilling it? And if I'm not really fulfilling it, what is the resisting force that is against me? And you need to discern that strong man. Because that strong man, symbolically speaking, metaphorically speaking, that thing is Amalek. And what Amalek does, it comes in behind and it tries to find weaknesses in people's lives. Maybe for some people it's this besetting sin that they kept struggling. Every time they started to move forward in God, it's like that thing came back up. And they end up falling back into that sin. It's frustrating and they pick themselves back up and they repent and they start moving forward. Yet it hits again. That's Amalek and it's targeting. It's coming in behind. It's finding a weakness and it's trying to hit that person as they're trying to go up in God. It's like throwing that grappling hook up there and grabbing them and pulling them right back down. And it's trying to hinder their destiny. But what somebody's got to do is, is quit praying that necessarily, well, God, I hate what's going on and all that, and say, Lord, help me to overcome it. You're going to have to run at it. You're going to have to go through it, overcome it, and come through conquering. And once you do, you're going to be able to help other people that struggled in those very areas. And for the nation of Israel, you know, we see right now, since 1948, God has reestablished Israel. And, and, of course, we know Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign from Israel. But the prevailing force behind coming against the nation of Israel is an anti-Semitism. And the anti-Semitism is Amalek also. You know, you wonder, here Israel is, just this little nation. It's always in the news, and there's always this attack. There's always this warfare against Israel. You know what this is? It's not only Amalek, but it's, it's also an antichrist spirit because the devil knows that Jesus, when he comes, is going to rule and reign from Israel, and he's trying to destroy Israel to prevent the coming of Christ, but he won't be able to do it. I came in tonight as I was praying about the sermon and, and bringing this. I, I felt just a burden about this because I know that many people have been hindered in different ways. And they're wanting to do what God's called them to do, but there's something there. Maybe their home's out of order. And like I mentioned, maybe there's a besetting sin, but maybe there's something else. But there's something. Maybe it's a generational curse they need to conquer. But there's something there that is trying to hold them back from their destiny. So how do we get breakthrough? What came to me the most strong about in my studies the strongest is this in Joel 2:15, blow a trumpet in Zion consecrate a fast proclaim a solemn assembly gather the people sanctify the congregation assemble the elders gather the children and the nursing infants let the bridegroom come out of his room let the bride come out of her bridal chamber let the priests, the Lord's ministers weep between porch and altar and let them say spare your people O Lord do not make your inheritance a reproach a byword among the nations then I will restore, verse 25, to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. As we're about to go into this time of prayer and fasting, the only thing I can do is I can earnestly pray, and I have been, that people take it serious. Because the thing is that many times the devil tries to come in, you have an opportunity to pray, you have an opportunity to fast, we have an opportunity to really come together in agreement. And it's like something of the devil tries to mess with people's minds where all of a sudden they're taking things lightly. They're not really fasting and praying. They're not really going after God like they should. It's just, it's almost taken flippantly with some people and they don't realize that they're missing an incredible opportunity to get a major breakthrough in their life and in the church. So this is a time that we're going to be entering into prayer and fasting as a church for a couple of weeks and I'm telling you guys to really take it serious and go after God. You may keep these notes tonight and put it in your prayer sheet as well. But we're going to be praying. Now I want you to join with me the night that we start this fast. And let's really pray and fast and seek God. Alright. Weep between porch and altar. We know that that reference there 
is that the priest had to go to the altar he had to sacrifice an animal for his own sin before he could leave the altar and move toward the temple he had to deal with his own sin so for before we can be effective intercessors for other people we've got to visit the altar and deal with anything in our lives then once we get right with the Lord then we can weep between porch and altar and it'll be very powerful and effective and you know there's a warning there in Ezekiel the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that God looked for a watchman and couldn't find any because even the priesthood was corrupt even the prophets many times were false there, there was nobody to stand in the gap you remember how Moses and Abraham were such powerful intercessors Moses during the golden calf you know he wept before the Lord and prayed God spare your people and God honored his prayer Abraham saw what was going to happen to Sodom and he he pleaded with the Lord and God heard and, and would have spared Sodom if he could find ten righteous so the point here is is that if we'll deal with the things we need to deal with God wants to give us a breakthrough but he wants to use us to see many other people get their breakthrough through our intercession but somebody has got to be willing to deal with their stuff somebody's got to be willing to deal with it to where they can weep between porch and altar and affect the lives of many others through their prayer and so to kind of to bring this now to this last couple things is Esther you know we're talking about this being a Purim type sermon and dealing with the life of Esther etc and here this man is Haman who appears to be an Amalekite and who was seeking to cause this law to be passed and things to happen to where the Jewish people would have been annihilated in other words God's people would have been destroyed but what did Esther do I've been preaching along these lines so instead of going back over it and reinventing the wheel I want you just to listen to what I'm saying here because you already know the scriptures but there's five things humility prayer fasting giving and consecrating your life those five things I've been preaching on lately that combination is very powerful Esther basically followed a very similar pattern and whenever she realized that she was not going to escape this either that all of God's people were going to be destroyed she called for the people to pray to humble themselves and pray and fast then she went before the king as an intercessor you see what I'm saying and it turned everything around but I love this scripture in Esther 2.12. Now when the turn of each young lady came to go to King Asherus, after the end of her 12 months under the regulations for women, for in those days to, of their beautification were completed as follows, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and cosmetics for women. So there was this process of being like cleansed and beautified to be ready to meet with the king. And let me tell you something. God is God the Holy Spirit is doing that in the life of God's people to get us ready to meet with the king I believe that we're living in the last days and the coming of Jesus is very near and there's a bride that is getting made ready for the bridegroom and God is trying to prepare a people the Holy Spirit is trying to do a deep consecration because the Lord's coming for a bride without spot or blemish he's coming for wise virgins with extra oil and just like this scripture with Esther there's a there's a time of cleansing and being purified and made ready because those that are ready the Lord is going to catch away like a thief in the night to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb okay but this is the time that I believe for River of Life if we'll really take this serious I'm asking the elders to really help me I'm asking the intercessors to really step up with this and let's seek the Lord because if we will humble ourselves and we will pray and we will fast and we'll consecrate our lives and also that aspect of, of giving to the poor if we'll do this together collectively and we'll really pray I believe if we'll get in between porch and altar and seek the Lord that this is the year that God is going to be removing out some hindrances and there's going to be major breakthroughs for what's coming I believe that all right and this is the last point I want to make about Amala, uh, the Amalekites. And then I want to close out by talking a little bit about Jezebel tonight. But the Amalekites. 
King David, when he was anointed by Samuel out in the fields, he was brought in rather to be among his family, but he came out of the fields. He was a shepherd and God anointed David. David, you know, began by conquering Goliath and he was served in Saul's service, etc. And we know all that. But David had to go through a process. Do you know what made the difference really between Saul and David? More than anything else, what I believe distinguished Saul and David was this. Saul had no preparation. He was just thrust into it. David, on the other hand, was put through a wilderness time to prepare him. See, when Israel came out of Egypt, they had the Passover. They were water baptized through Moses in the Red Sea, etc. They were, you know, God had done a work in their life. But then, what do you see? They went through the wilderness, and they were prepared through the wilderness. Then, at the end of the wilderness time, there seemed to be a whole nother consecration. Now, they have to go through the Jordan. They had to be circumcised. They celebrated Passover again. It was like a whole nother consecration happened again so that they could take the promised land. I really believe that many times, you know, people will accept Christ and they have a call in their life. And God will begin to draw them out into the wilderness. Remember that Jesus himself, the Bible says, that he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. God will lead you out into the wilderness time, and it's in that wilderness that you're tested, that your metal's tested, that God's going to do a work in you. There's going to be a brokenness. There's going to be a humility. And you think about all that Joseph went through, the pit and the prison. There's that breaking. There's that process there. But the, at the end of the wilderness, it was now time for Israel to take the promised land, to come into their destiny in God. You hear what I'm saying? They had to go through a whole nother cleansing again. And it seems to me like that there's this initial work, then there's a wilderness, and then there's a final work that God does. I really believe, River of Life, there's a final work that God's doing. I believe that that's where things are at. But David had gone through this wilderness time, and some scholars say it could have been up to even 16 years that he wandered in caves. That's a long time. He was out in the wilderness, he was, you know, having to deal with all the things that, that, that involved. But at the end of that wilderness time, Hear me, because this is one of the most important things I wanted to get to. At the end of the wilderness time for David, when it was time for him to really come into his destiny in God, the very last thing we read about is the Amalekites. The Amalekites invaded Ziklag while him and his men were gone, and they totally, completely plundered everything. They took the, all their wives, all their children, and all their belongings. When they came back, the men with David, these are hardened warriors. They were weeping till they had no more strength to weep. As a matter of fact, they were so upset about the situation, they even talked of stoning David. And so David was, was obviously very distraught. And interestingly enough, whenever Saul killed all the priests in Nob, there was a young man uh, that was priestly, named Abiathar, that escaped and brought the ephod. And he came to be with David. And David said, bring me the ephod. He was desperate. And he put on that priestly ephod and he began to pray. And God told David, he said, pursue the Amalekites and you will recover all. The last battle that David faced before he took the throne was to conquer his Amalekite. God will touch your life. He'll anoint you. He'll put you through the wilderness time that all of us have to go through. But there comes a point in time when you're going to have to face your Goliath, you're going to have to face your Amalekite, and you're going to have to conquer that thing and be an overcomer and begin to move into your destiny in God. And you can do it. And in the book of Revelation, it says, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. God has called us to be overcomers. And so anyway, this is the time. And so I wanted to get to that because the last thing David faced before taking the throne was the Amalekites and represented 
his, his great enemy to his destiny. And after he, he went in and conquered the Amalekites, I want you to hear me. Because a lot of times the Bible says when a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. A lot of times when people really conquer their enemy, their thief that's been coming against us, they'll come, a, come away with a lot more than what they lost. David, you know, all of their wives and children, all their belongings, everything was gone. And God told David, you will recover all. But when David went down and, and conquered the Amalekites, not only did he conquer all and get back every single thing that was lost, but he also plundered everything the Amalekites had also. Did y'all catch that? Spoils of war. Now, I'm going to tell you that God is a just God. And there's, you know, Satan comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. And Satan has stolen many things, many times from many people. But if we'll stand on the word of the Lord and we will conquer that Amalekite, I promise you that God will cause you to see a great recovery and a great restoration in your life. And it will be many times over what was lost. Think about Job. Job was restored double everything that the devil had done. Double. So many times, just like David, when he went in and he conquered, he plundered and received much more. And I think about, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about treasures, hidden treasures in dark places. And it was a reference to Cyrus. And he said to Cyrus, I've anointed you, I've called you. He said to break open that two-leaf gate and what? To get treasures of darkness. Many times Satan has stolen things from God's people. And it's like they're locked up in treasures of darkness. They're hidden. They're, 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 you know, something that he's come in and man, he's really done a number on somebody's life. But God can anoint you and give you such a breakthrough that all those things that the devil has stolen will be restored back many times over. Are you hearing me tonight? God can even restore years. I was just reading that to you guys earlier in Joel. He said, I will restore you years the locusts have eaten. God can redeem time. He can restore years. Everything that the devil has stolen can be restored back many times over. But it's going to take conquering your Amalekite. And one of the greatest resistance to God's people is this Jezebel spirit. I've been talking about a lot of different things, but particularly tonight I felt led to talk about this. And so as we're going to be praying and fasting over the next couple of weeks, I want you to keep this with your other stuff I gave you last week and really pray over it because this is something that many times people don't realize is there, but it's actually quite serious. This spirit can gain access to lives and bloodlines through things like Freemasonry, Catholicism, the occult, abortions, idolatry, sexual immorality. This is a very vicious spirit that divides covenant relationships. Where the spirit of Elijah comes in and turns the hearts of fathers to, to sons and daughters and hearts of sons to fathers, you know, it brings like this healing between relationships. A Jezebel spirit will divide covenant relationships. It will destroy marriages. It will destroy relations between parents and children. And it will destroy relationships even in, in churches where you know, God has brought somebody there and they're supposed to be there. But because of a Jezebel issue, they end up, you know, it's, that relationship is torn and they're gone. It's sad. Revelation 2.20 it says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Listen, there's a false prophet spirit connected to Jezebel. It's, revel it's revelation. I believe it's supernatural, but it's demonic. And it'll be very negative toward like the pastor. It'll be neg very negative toward leaders. And it, it's just a very weird thing. Um, she teaches and leads my bond servants astray. This spirit many times will be uh, traffic in people that, that tend to be kind of prophetic or intercessory. And I believe in that very much so, but there's a counterfeit out there. And this thing wants to have people that are under its influence that are teachers. And through their so-called teaching, they will lead people astray. 
so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her immorality. That right there is the most profound revelation about Jezebel that I have seen in over 20 years of ministry is many times they do not want to repent. Bottom line, you'll try to talk to them, you'll try to be nice. They, not only do they not want to repent, they are not going to, and they will turn on you. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. This is the words of Jesus Christ to the church. And God is saying there cannot be any toleration of Jezebel. There can't be. It will bring such a bondage into a church. It is so evil. So let me give you a few things that I'm sharing this because in context, this is the time for you guys, for River of Life, to get breakthroughs into destiny. Things that have been trying to hinder you, things that's been trying to hold you back, you know, we talked about last week what was the spirit of whoredoms. We talked about things like bloodshed that's been in bloodlines. We talked about different things generationally. We've, I've been going through something over a long period of time leading up to this point. But as we go into this time of prayer and fasting, I'm believing God that the things that have been hindering people are going to be cleared away. You see, what people got to understand is that the main goal of the devil, of demon spirits, is to resist people from getting saved. But if they do accept Christ, there's not a thing they can do about it at that point. Once they, once they truly accept Christ, the enemy has to realize that they cannot do anything about that. But now their strategy changes to where now they're going to try to hinder them from doing anything for the Lord. To stop their destiny in God, to abort it. To, even while they're young in the Lord to target weaknesses and try to bring them down it's a resistance against your destiny in God and there's different people that are facing this in different ways it may be a chronic illness that is trying to hold people back it may be something in the way of financial that's really been tough it may be other areas of besetting sin but it's wrestling with unseen forces it is something what do the apostle Paul say we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but princes and powers. And he said that, what, there's these fiery darts. There's this resistance. Amalek represents a resistance. So now I want to expose this Jezebel spirit and just kind of help you. And I'm going to close with this. Is this in your family bloodline? Is this something you deal with? And let God deal with it in all of us. All right, number one, here's some things to think about and pray about. But like I mentioned, if we will humble ourselves and pray and fast, God will do it. It's one thing to say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. He will. He's so faithful. He's so faithful. He will. But there's an entirely different thing to pray, Lord, I ask you to reach down in me and take all this junk out of me to where I'm a different person. That's a completely different prayer. Not, are you, not only are you just being you know, forgiven, but now you're being delivered from the power of that, that that junk is pulled out of you and you're a different person. And then the third thing I would say is that you are literally delivered from demonic forces that have been resisting you. Those are three areas, forgiveness, interchange, and deliverance. Does this make sense? All three of these are available. So here's a checklist. Number one is their disorder and confusion. If I've ever seen confusion, I see it today in society. And Jezebel is behind a lot of it. That's a powerful force in these last days. It is what the Bible calls the whore of Babylon in Revelation 17, 18. It is a powerful force. It is a witchcraft resistance against God's people. But I've seen so much confusion. Now, supposedly, people are confused about what gender they are. When did that get complicated? 
You know it has to be spiritual because it doesn't make any sense. But there's so much confusion, so much twisting of things. Yeah, I give you an example. Israel can, terrorists launch a rocket, a rocket, a rocket. They can launch 100 rockets. Then Israel finally has enough and launches one rocket. All of a sudden on the news, Israel is an aggressor that's attacking these poor people and the Palestinians. They're just, you know, confusion. But where there's disorder and confusion, where husbands are not leading in the ways of God and wives are not being submissive, this is a serious issue. And I've seen a lot of this rebellion and it's confusion, it's rebellion, and um, it, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the home, when people will not come under that authority. And see, it's one thing for people to say, you know, can I do this, can I do that? And as long as they're being told yes, 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 they're just going along. You wait until you say no. Then you're going to, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know if they're submissive or rebellious. I'm dealing with Jezebel tonight. Are things in order? Is your home in order? Are you under authority? You know how many people just float around out there, church to church? They're not under any authority, and they're not protected. It's sad. But they don't, a lot of people don't understand kingdom authority at all in America. Is there a disrespect and a dishonor toward authority? All these left-handed comments, disrespectful comments, downplaying people in front of others. It's just disrespectful. Is there pride and rebellion? You know, a lot of the problem, a lot of the times, deep down is pride. If we can get on our face and really humble ourselves, say, Lord, forgive me for all this pride, this iniquity that's been in me. Take all this junk out of me by the roots. As that pride begins to be pulled out of your heart, that right there alone many times will deal with so much other stuff. Pride is kind of the mother of all other sins, really. Is there fear and ungodly control? Think about all the manipulation, intimidation, and control that's out there, trying to be in control. Some people can't stand to be out of control. Is there strife and division that seems to be supernatural? I mean, you really want to get along. You want to have a good day together. But something spiritually just stirs up strife. Is there lust and sexual sins that just seem to be stubborn? The occult, witchcraft, divination, sorcery. They'll be kind of, a Jezebel will begin to really pull somebody toward that. They'll feel a draw many times to the occult. They may not realize it, but they do. And they'll feel comfortable with those things. It's very weird. Another thing is idolatry and worship of other gods. Jezebel's big on the idols. You know, an idol is anything that has captured your heart instead of the Lord. Anything that you put before God anything you trust in other than God see where Jezebel is there's going to be a lot of idols counterfeit revelation and false prophecy abortion and shedding innocent blood I'll tell you something it shocks me to no end to hear people that call themselves Christians that will defend abortion it's in churches there's preachers out there that, that pastor that are scared to say too much because they've got so many people out there that are for abortion in their church. I love everybody, and I know this goes out on the internet, so I know what I'm doing. But if somebody was pro-abortion like that, I don't want them to come. They're not saved. Now, you can come get saved, but if you're going to call yourself a Christian and come here, forget it. You're a murderer. It's just the truth. It's cold-blooded murder. It's shedding innocent blood. All right. Then also liberalism and feminism. Man, that is a strong Jezebel spirit. 
the downplaying of men and male authority, and finally, witchcraft. These are things, do you see these patterns in, in your family bloodline? Are these things that you struggle with? If you'll really pray about it and fast and seek God and let God purge that out of you and out of your family line, is this is an issue. A lot of times people don't realize that there's something in the spiritual realm that is set up against them, that is resisting them. And if they can discern that, and they can, and they can in Christ as they overcome it, many times that very thing was Amalekites. And as you take the head off that giant, that will be the breakthrough that will launch you into your destiny in God. That is the thing that's trying to stand in between you and what God's called you to do. And when you conquer your Amalekite, don't be surprised if you don't end up plundering much more than what the enemy ever stole from you in the first place.